Welcome to Speedy Law. Speedy's his name, trial law's his game. True stories of a small town criminal defense attorney named Speedy. Thank you for tuning in. Here's Speedy. This is George Speedy from the law office of Speedy Tanner and Atkinson, Camden, South Carolina. Also known as Speedy, as I've told you before. It's a favorite, my favorite name, what most people call me. Uh, I respond to it more often. When somebody says George, I'm not sure if they're talking to me or somebody else, but when they say Speedy, I know exactly who they're talking about. You know, I told you earlier a little bit about my life and how I got here to be a law, lawyer and practice for the last 48 years. And I uh, told you about being uh, me and my buddy wa walking into the post office and joining the, the Marine Corps, but... Uh, I think probably what the Marine Corps has meant to me in today's existence is probably the what was the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life and the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. I don't think I'd be a lawyer today if it wasn't for the for the Marine Corps. They taught me discipline that I'd never really learned before, although I had a good teacher in my mother and my father. But when, even if you have a good teacher, you have to have a good student. I was not a good student. I didn't become a good student until it really meant something. Because when it was in the Marine Corps, if you didn't do what they said, it wasn't time in the corner. It wasn't a uh, slap in the hand. It might be 100 push-ups. might be 100 jumping jacks. It might be even worse than that. It might be that your whole platoon had to do 100 jumping jacks or 100 push-ups. That was even worse because then you had the wrath of all those fellows. You know, I know then, now, I know now what I didn't know then is the Marine Corps kind of tore me down and rebuilt me. I like what they rebuilt. I'm satisfied with my life now, satisfied that I've made the right decisions, some of them very difficult, but that's what brought me here to be a lawyer. Told you I do a small town practice. I like a small town practice, but consequently it means that I've had to do more than just trial law. I had to do basically domestic work. I've had to do some probate work, some property work. I've done it all until the last few years where I specialized just in, in basically trial type actions, uh, criminal law, uh, personal injury cases. Or, but back in the day when I was doing uh, when I was doing civil law, this one arose out of a criminal situation. My client was named Catfish. Now, everybody probably wonders why somebody's called Catfish. Does he catch a lot of catfish? Maybe, but that wasn't the reason they called this guy Catfish. Did he eat? Uh, did he eat catfish stew regularly? No, that's not the reason they call him Catfish either. The reason they call him catfish is because he looked like one. You know what I mean by like by that? He was he's small in stature, meaning his waist was smaller and his his upper body was a little larger. But the main thing that made him look like a catfish is that he, when he tried to grow a beard, those uh, whiskers grew out just like a catfish would, and that's why he got the name catfish. Well, catfish worked in one of our textile mills back in the back in the 80s here in 80s and late 70s through the 80s we had a lot of textile mills in this area they've gone away 
gone to Mexico or someplace else, maybe uh, Southeast Asia. I don't know where they've all gone, but there's not many textile mills left anymore. He was a hard worker, though. They were people who worked in the textile mills here worked hard. They worked long days, and then they partied hard, and they had long nights sometimes. And Catfish ended up with two DUIs that I was representing them for. Now, this this podcast is not about those two DUIs, but it was while I was dealing with Catfish that I learned that he was married and he lived in a little single-wide mobile home. There wasn't any children by this marriage. I think he had some by a prior marriage. But he came to see me one day, maybe months, several months after the second DUI, and said that his wife and he had separated and that uh, that he was taken to family court and the judge made him pay uh, $500 a month in alimony out of his check because his wife couldn't work. He said, you see, his wife had been in a, a bad automobile accident and uh, she had become paralyzed from the waist down. And he said that uh, he just really couldn't keep up with everything at, at the time, and she asked him to leave. He left, and next thing he knows, he's paying $500 a month. He said, but the good news is that she's got a lawsuit. And he said the lawsuit is because she was involved in an automobile accident. It was a one-car wreck, and I'm thinking to myself, that couldn't possibly be a very good automobile accident because you have to prove negligence. If she's in a one-car wreck, she could be the only one that would be negligent. And he said he was actually part of that lawsuit because he had um, what they call loss of consortium. Well, in other words, in South Carolina, if you're married and somebody's in an automobile accident, loss of consortium is that you lose the benefits of that spouse who was injured in the accident, and therefore you're entitled to some compensation for that. So he, he basically said, look, I was taking care of her. Um, I, I'm paying her $500 a month. I'll, I'm therefore entitled to cons- loss of consortium. And the lawyers who represent us has t- have told me that they will no longer represent me now that I'm in a divorce. So I need you to help me. I said, well, I, I really don't understand how your wife can recover if it was a one-car accident. And he said, it's something about something the general contractor did on a construction site near there or something. I don't know exactly what it is, he said, but I do want you to represent me in it. And I said, well, you know, in all honesty, I didn't think there was much to it because uh, there's no way you could recover in a one-car accident because who's, who's the negligent person? You are. But I took it on anyways because they were representing them for those two DUIs, and he really hadn't paid me all my money yet. <laughs> Didn't want to disappoint him. So I asked him, okay, so where are we at? He says, we have mediation next week. I said, you have mediation next week? Let me tell you what mediation is. So when lawsuits are filed, you file the lawsuit making a claim for damages or injuries, then there's a lot of what we call discovery goes on. In other words, both sides get to exchange information to try to see why the plaintiff or the person that's injured claims that, or has evidence of why they have what the injury was caused by and what the nature of their injuries are. 
That's a long process. But once that's done, the courts require us to mediate the case. I mean, sit down and try to work it out. Because if you can't sit down and try to work it out, it's going to mean taking up trial time. So mediation is an integral part of the uh, civil processes, particularly in automobile accident cases, because there's a lot of that. I'm sure we didn't have all these TV lawyers back then, but I'm sure you know there's a lot of litigation on as much TV as we see TV lawyers using up. But anyways, uh, I said, that's awful short notice, Catfish. I said, but you know what? I'm going to go with you. We can get more time if we need it. So we, uh, we, we, we meant in Columbia, South Carolina, and the plaintiff's lawyer's office at that next Wednesday, I believe it was. And, of course, uh, when you go to a plaintiff's office that does nothing but a lot of plaintiff's work, meaning that that's where they make most of their money. They're, they're uh, a little more lavish maybe than, when I say lavish, they're usually a little larger than what my office was. My office is a small office in Camden. I, I, if you see it, it's, it's well done. It's well decorated. It's, but not as well done and as fashionable as some of these plaintiff's lawyers. And the next thing that I noticed right away when I went in is they had the TV in the conference room with the muted, but with the stock market on television. You know, you can turn to one channel and it shows the stock market all day. I said, well, that's pretty incredible. You know, they must be watching their investments too. I don't know. But anyways, the, the mediator was a former Supreme Court justice from the state of South Carolina, Judge Harwell. He's a good, good man, good mediator. Good, he did a good job as a trial judge. He did a good job as a Supreme Court justice and was ever considered by everybody to be a fair man. And in mediation, what you do is each side sits down and tells what their position is. So we were set down by the former lawyers of Catfish, the lawyers of the wife. We were on their side because we were the plaintiffs, and the defense lawyers, they were on the other side of the table. And there's about two lawyers for the wife. There's me, and there's about four defense lawyers on the other side of the table. So I was in, a, I was in pretty heavy company. But anyways, the, we, we begin the statements, and the wife's lawyer said, this is what happened, that she was driving down the road, that they were doing construction on the road, and that the fill on the shoulder of the road where they were doing construction was more than seven and a half inches below the level of the road, which was a violation of OSHA regulations that they should have built it up for less than seven and a half inches road, that her tire caught when she went off the road and caused her to flip over, causing her injuries. And I suddenly thought, well, golly, we may just <laughs> we may just have a case here. So then they get to me, and they said, well, Mr. Speedy, and of course the, the wife's plaintiff's lawyers told them how much money they wanted. They wanted uh, $2 million. And this was back in the 80s. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I'm, my eyes are getting wider and wider. And then they get to me, and they say, well, Mr. Speedy, what do, you, what, do you, what do you say about your client? I said, well, you know, my client suffered some injuries here, but really the, really the most important thing, I was, really I was grappling for what to say because I'd just gotten this dang case. And I said, what we would like to see is what, how, much the, uh, how much of the damages are, are for the wife who really deserves it and the, that we'll just try to work ours out when the time comes. 
And so in mediation, once you make these statements, then the defense lawyers, uh, they start trying to minimize what the damages are. And we all try to impress each other, and maybe we can come out of this with an agreement. Well, then we all split off into other rooms. Well, everybody got a room but me and Catfish. Me and Catfish had to go outside. Fortunately, it was the spring of the year, and it really wasn't that bad because the plaintiffs usually would have one room and the defendants would have their own room. And uh, they just didn't want us in there with the wife, I guess. But in any event, what we, what we did, we waited for about an hour. They would circulated through the uh, plaintiff's lawyers and the defense lawyers, and then they suddenly called us and me and the other plaintiff's lawyers, and they said, okay, I've discussed this case with the defense, and they're ready to make an offer. I got excited. And they turned to me and they said, Mr. Speedy, insurance companies don't think your claim is worth a crap. Yeah. So, goodness gracious. Okay. And they go off to the, the wife's lawyers and they say they, they're willing to offer $500,000. Oh, my goodness. Well, anyways, there wasn't much for me to say at that point. I just realized that I might have wasted my day. But we got sent back out. They were going to continue to negotiate. So we didn't go in any more of those meetings the rest of the day. But I watched the offers grow. They grew from offers grow. I watched the offer grow from 500000 to six fifty to seven to nine to 12 And they finally settled on $1.3 million. We got ready to go. I was figuring this was over. I stayed because I was obligated to. And they said, Wait a minute, Mr. Speedy. They said, uh, your client has to sign the papers. I said, well, let me think about this a minute. I said, you, you're telling me that they think my client's claim is not worth a crap, but we have to sign papers? And they said, yep. I said, if we don't sign these papers, that means no settlement goes forward. Am I right? And they said, yeah, that's correct. I said, well, you know what? I've been thinking about this, and I've figured out that I know what my client's claim is worth. I said, the judge in the family court has decided what my client has lost. He's been paying her $500 a month, and when I add that up, that comes to all the month that he's paid to $35,000. I said, so his claim is worth $35,000 or we're not signing any papers. They all scrambled. It reminded me if you've, if you've ever kicked an ant pile, they all go scurrying all over the place. Well, they were scurrying. Nobody knew what to do. Next thing I heard is that plaintiff's lawyer is saying, tell them $1,335,000. So me and Catfish, we got our $35,000 and got the heck out of there. A couple months later, he came back to me and he said, Mr. Speedy, he said, uh, I got my final hearing coming. And he said, um, I got to talking to some fellows and they said that a, a uh, settlement in court is marital property. So I should be entitled to some of that $1.3 million my wife got besides the money I got compensated for what I was paying her. And I said, that's uh, stretching a little bit. I said, but we could go in and see what happens. I said, you got nothing to lose, I don't think. 
So we went to the hearing, and uh, uh, they were filing, getting ready to take testimony. And this particular judge, he he would like to he, he used to, he would tell us, "I want to hear what your what your case is about before we get started." And if I feel like there's any settlement op- options, I'll tell you what you should do. I said okay, so they basically said that my client was a no good rascal that he didn't take care of her. She had to kick him out and that he wouldn't, her, her mama had to do all the work and he just was a no good. I said, Oh my, I said, judge, I said, but under South Carolina law, we are entitled to some portion of automobile accident case proceeds. And we, my client just wants you to determine what those are. And he said, well, Mr. Speedy, he says, you know, he said, you're right. You're exactly right. But so is his $35,000. That's marital property, too. He said, what I'm thinking about doing is taking that $35,000 and giving it to the wife. I said, Johnner, we would like to withdraw any claims that we have. And that's George Speedy telling you all about it from the offices of Speedy Tanner and Atkinson, Camden, South Carolina. If you need me, just call me. Call me Speedy. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Speedy Law, true stories of a small-town criminal defense attorney named Speedy. New episodes go live the second and fourth Tuesday of each month. Speedy Law is brought to you by Speedy Tanner and Atkinson, attorneys at law, and produced by Patty Rose PR Biz Marketing. We'll see you next time on Speedy Law. Speedy's his name, trial law's his game. As a lawyer, I feel an obligation to inform all listeners that all information that I disclose in these podcasts is either public information or it's not protected information. I've gotten it legally, in other words. I, uh, any names that I might use, I have the permission. If I don't have the permission, I don't use the names. And none of the descriptions, descriptions are designed for people to be embarrassed or identified. I try to be as fair as I can in my interpretation of all the situations that I've been involved in.